these are the things that you are good at and these are the other things. Now, you can work on those other things, but what it is is that psychologists kind of agree on the fact that personality really doesn't change very much. And so if your weaknesses you made, if they're related to your personality, it doesn't really matter how much you work at them. You're never going to eliminate them. And you can waste so much time and energy trying to make yourself to being somebody you're not. So why not look at your strengths? So I guess the first question I wanted to ask you is like, how would you describe you yourself? Like, how would you, how would you normally introduce yourself to people? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the trouble, actually. I, I don't really know because when people say that uh, I... Um, yeah, when, when when they say I work at the university, and then then they say, oh, yeah, what is it you do? I say I'm a professor. They say, what do you teach? And I say, well, I don't anymore, actually. Um, I suppose that the the shorter answer is that uh, I'm really interested in leadership and when people work in teams. That's the stuff that I'm interested in. Uh, but these days, I tend to go to I just I'm I'm sort of in a in a, in a job in, involves. I describe it as going to meetings, but which is just a way of people not to ask me anymore i suppose but it, it it's a bit like that i'm i'm that, i'm i'm putting that into practice i'm, I'm not really lecturing anymore but uh, do you remember when you first got interested into into leadership when the first time you got interested into it yeah i mean to be honest i think when i started at university with you know, which was in 2000 um i don't think many people were talking about leadership there's a lot of talk about management but I, yeah, I was—I suppose I was interested in leadership as a consumer of it. I was being led all the time, and quite often badly. And uh, I also noticed that it makes a huge difference. It makes a difference to your life what your your leader is, who who your leader is, what your relationship with them is, and um, and makes a massive difference to your performance as well as your um, as how happy you are in your job. But that's really where it came from. Is it? The most important person in your world, really, at work, is is your boss, and 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 how that how they and how aware they are, how self aware, how all that stuff is is massively important. It, it, it's funny because um, when I think of my first experience of say leadership, it probably like school, where you had like prefect, head boy, and there's a lot of like onus on being like number one, but there's not really any lessons telling you of how to be a leader what it means to lead other just other than just setting an example and therefore you kind of build up a picture of leaders are goody two-shoes or they're perfect like they can't do anything wrong but in reality yeah. real life world is very very different like that you've got some like roughneck type of leaders and and i think that kind of picture of what it means to be a leader is very very different from how it is when you're younger and how it is now you know yeah, it is. Uh, there's so many different um, ways of being a leader, and I guess it's one of the things that the military do extremely well. Um, yeah, my current boss is honestly is brilliant, but I don't think he's ever been taught how to be a leader, and uh, and and I don't think there's any bit particular expectation of that. Um, it's a bit accentuated in universities because of the rather old way in which they they run, but I think that's true in a lot of organisations where. There is a certain amount of development available for people to to get into that role, and I firmly believe that people can be. Yeah, you know, not everyone can be great at being a leader. It's not everyone's thing, but you can certainly improve how how you work at it. 
it, it's I mean it's that counselling thing is that you know the the, the success of counselling really depends on whether the person wants to change or not. And that's the same with leadership, same with any personal development, I guess. Yeah. Okay, fair. Talking of personal development, and also you mentioned the military. Um, one thing that surprised me was that you actually used to be in the military, you used to be in, in the army. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about like that story, you know, like what were your motivations to join in the first place? Because you even were trying to go into the Navy as well, right? So... Um, I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, it was a different time. Um, it's that I, um, I've only just recently admitted to the thing about the Navy, funnily enough. And, and it's, uh, you've obviously found the paper because uh, it was something that I just tried to pretend didn't happen because I failed at it so badly. I was massively embarrassed about it. But it was also that it was... To be brutally honest, it was the only thing I could think of to do at school because I could see that um, everyone else, I was at a grammar school, which there are not many of those left anymore, but the grammar school I was at, highly academic, and everyone there went on to university. There was only me and one other guy didn't go to university, to single-sex school. And the, my best mate got a scholarship to Cambridge. And, you know, that, that was just something that was so beyond me. It may sound weird coming from... A, a university professor, but yeah, I just could not understand how the thing at school went. And I had to find a way that I was going to be able to make my way in the world that didn't require good exam grades. And it seemed quite an exciting prospect to, uh, to, to, to go into the Navy. And I had some struggles getting in, not not my fault, just to do with defense cups and stuff. But I got there and having a struggle to get there and plan my whole life from about the age of 13 to get there. There was something about it that I realized was not right. I just was not a fit for it. It didn't really, it's not something I ever admitted to until I think probably quite recently, is that it was just a bad mistake. It was just a mistake from, on my part, possibly on the Navy's part of taking me in the first place. But um, I managed to get through it. And uh, as far as getting to um, officer training, and yeah, partway through officer training, I, I, I made such a, a mess of everything. And then in one particular case, a huge mess. And, well, for in, in those terms, anyway, you know, nobody, nobody died, no one was injured, it was just embarrassing. And yeah. so I came out. Uh, what happened? What happened? What happened? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the second part of Navy training, your first, first term you're at Dartmouth, absolutely brilliant. I was sailing every day. I cannot say that there's very few parts of my life I've ever been happier. Sailing on the River Dart every day is really not. And being patriot. But what I was then doing is we went away to sea on a big ship called HMS Fearless, which is um, um, a, a ship where they put landing craft in the back of. So it's a huge thing. And we had a, a, and it was set up for an obstacle race. And I was given the, char the task of leading one of the teams. And the first thing we had to do was to make a, a, a dummy to put onto a stretcher to take over all the obstacles. And I couldn't be bothered. And so what I did is I noticed there was nothing in the rules about what size it should be. So I drew a stick mat on a piece of paper, put it in a matchbox, sellotaped it to the, the stretcher, and said, that's our... It was, yeah, oddly enough, that didn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everyone there could see that we were going to get into trouble for it. But um, And, you know, eventually it was... And, and I think, to be honest, they made the right decision. I, I think that uh, there were a lot of things I could do, do pretty well, uh, things to do with 
navigating ships and all that sort of stuff, but everything to do with um, quite rigid discipline, I couldn't. Which yeah, so I ended up ended up back at home in early 1982, uh, which was just you cannot yeah in in the middle of Yorkshire where the only jobs were in farming, and if you didn't own a farm, that was kind of it really, and. And I just could not think of anything else to do. I think these days, when you've got, you know, you can go online and find jobs somewhere else. Where you could, I just couldn't see anything to do. Um, memorably, I went for an interview in a factory in Lancaster, which was this. Well, it was known as the Knicker Factory, and I walked into this factory, and there was I know three hundred women working in machines who all stopped work and looked at me. I was absolutely terrified. and thought, I don't know, I can't do anything like this. So, uh, yeah, so I tried to join the army as an officer and very foolishly said, admitted that I'd been in the Navy. And I think they looked at me and thought, well, you failed the Navy training. What on earth do you think he's going to get through Santos? And fair point, break. Um, and so I still couldn't think of what to do. And so I ended up joining the army as a private soldier. And then um, what made you, that when you, well, when you left the Navy or when they um, told you it's time to go, like, because you had worked up so hard up to that point, were you able to accept it so easily? Or was there something yeah. where you was like, nah. no, not at all. Uh, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I've written about this. The, I, well, it wasn't a job that I was going for. This was me. This was my identity. It was something that I would go on about. I'm sure everyone was heartily sick of it. But I, would, I identified as a naval officer. That's who I was. I was an officer in the Royal Navy. That was me. That's who I was. And if anyone else asked you, yeah, other people might say, "Oh, I'm, 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 a, you know, I'm training to be a doctor or something like that," which has that sort of um, connection as well. But in this case, that was the only thing that I could think of. And um, so, yeah, um, it, when when it was taken away from me, basically the person who I was went with it as well. Who are you? Well, I'm not in the navy. I'm I'm not a naval officer. Who am I? I'm just someone who did really, really badly at their A levels, and that's and that was it. And so it sort of lost my identity, really. I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's a fairly extreme way of of putting it, but I, that really was my identity, who I was. And and I, I I have a feeling that some people are more prone to identifying more strongly with with their workplace than others, and that uh, I think I'm probably one of those, and so who would like to identify with something and I have written some papers on this years ago um, to do with a thing called identification part of your personality that comes from being in a group or in an organization and so there's something changes about you when you're um, in a particular organization especially one with a strong culture and there isn't anything stronger than the military in terms of culture yeah no I totally agree because I think um, even like how sometimes people introduce themselves um, rather than them describing, say, the outcome of the work that they do, whether it be like if they're in banking, for example, so like I help people make more money, it's like I'm a banker or I'm a doctor. And when those things are removed away, then you have that kind of shift of what is my identity, you know? And I can imagine, especially if you had fought so much or put so much time and effort into becoming, say, like a naval officer, and then you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to be a factory worker. So then, when you decided to join the military, like, was that kind of like a last option? Like, what was really going through your head when you decided to make that choice? It, it was my first and last option, to be honest. I 
genuinely couldn't think of anything else to do. I did find that there was something I got some sort of feeling in my own mind of being some sort of status attached to it. Uh, that there was, you know, that I could, you know, I'm, uh, I'm off doing exciting things. Um, I think maybe there was something in my mind that actually uh, peacetime Navy isn't all that exciting quite most of the time. <laughs> it's sort of, and, and I do know, I, I kept in touch with some people I was, uh, I was uh, in the Navy for a while. Um, and, and I know that a lot of them found it quite difficult because it was nowhere near as exciting as they thought it was going to be. Um, you know, in, in a way, complete blessing that for a lot of years, you know, we basically didn't have any wars. Um, you know, obviously the, there's, the soldiers all were going to Northern Ireland. The Navy was hardly involved. And the uh, and so if you're sort of training for something that you're never going to do, it just becomes a bit odd sometimes. And even though you could pretend that it was great fun, which it was in some ways, um, still I have... This incredible memory seared, seared into my mind of we were in Fearless, we were going around the Mediterranean, and because it has the, as I say, it has it had landing craft in the back, you drive the landing craft in and then you pump the water out and off you go. So we had this massive ramp on, on the back of the ship, stirring. And what we did it just was the thing, you know, hands to bathing stations. What that meant was they put the ramp down and put some safety boats out and everyone could jump into the sea. It's right in the you couldn't see land. It was the most beautiful, clear, uh, you know, warm water that you could jump in and out and mess around with your mates. It was just extraordinary. And yeah, I, I won't forget that day. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but but in terms of excitement of what you were doing, it was all a bit false, really. Because how does that experience compare with when you joined the the, the, the actual the military there? In terms of like the um, army, yeah. yeah, um, it was similar actually, to be honest. Um, there was, um, yeah, the it just in just in terms of just very visually, um, on, on my passing out parade at um, at Woolwich, um, the maximum number of medals anyone had was one <laughs> because they had a northern, they all had a Northern Ireland medal and nothing else because there wasn't anywhere else that was. The sort of place they could be posted to that was regarded as being in combat, and so there wasn't any, um, you know, there wasn't. You're training for something that wasn't happening, basically, and was never going to. Yeah, you know, we went through endless sort of training about the Russian threat and so forth. Yeah, and those of us who could do the sums sort of go, look, the Russians seem to outnumber us by several to one. If they wanted to invade Western Europe, they probably would have done so. So they're probably not going to. And if they do, we probably won't be able to do anything about it. So yeah, this, so what's the yeah? What are we doing? <laughs> and what we were doing is just um, filling time, really. That's crazy though, because um, like for because everyone needs to have that kind of always on ready mentality. And if the army feels like they're kind of twiddling their thumbs and not and not doing anything like how what what are the officers do if they try and keep them kind of ready and prepared because anything can change like that tomorrow yeah i'm too honest this is my view i'm sure it probably I'm quite sure it wasn't all the people there <laughs> i think it was probably uh, a real test of leadership to be fair to be to try and keep um uh, a sense of readiness and to actually be like that and i joined a regiment that actually had a very bad reputation for that and um, for for being um, ill-disciplined, violent, and uh, oh yes, so uh, 
Um, and it was um, recruited in Glasgow. And and you can imagine that my um, accent was the same as it is now, so I didn't really fit in. Although I mentioned identity. I've just noticed, of course, I use this mug every day, which is my, which is, this is my old unit. I mean, oh, interesting. It's probably weird, isn't it? I mean, it's, to be honest, I, I, there's a sort of a, um, there's an element to do with identity. Yeah. And I'm very proud of that. And I used to talk about it a lot in lectures and it was, it was kind of a running joke, but it was also my, there was, there was a part of it, me was thinking, oh, I'm doing too much of this. And I thought, hang on, I will keep it in because it is at my point of difference. And it's a, it's something that I've, 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 I've kind of used and that, yeah, you, know, you, you sort of show that what your, you know, what your personality is created from your experiences. And whilst I can't pretend that it was, it was, um, you know, that great a time in the army because I, I was desperate. I had no idea what else to do. And, uh, yeah. And so that was all I could think of. And, uh, so have it ended up having gone, gone out of the Navy because having been basically been from the Navy because I wasn't any good at discipline. I then went to a place where it was even more disciplined. And in a sense, it was easier because there wasn't any there wasn't any question about whether you would do what you were told or not. Because if you didn't, then you'd be literally taken around the back and, and beaten up. And so that was well. No. So did you actually feel yourself transforming throughout the time that you were there? Yeah, yeah. And it was I suppose it was um a matter of some pride when I got round to when I actually finished the training. I thought, well, at least I've done that now. <laughs> so I've I failed my exams. I've failed in the navy, and I've now passed out of, of, of basic training. And it was um, there was some family tradition there as well. And my dad wasn't in the army, but his father was, and his father, and his father in that regiment. So he was, you know, there was there was that which was good. But that doesn't last very long when you're um, in a really horrendous barrack room in Germany, which was uh, a repurposed lightly repurposed um ss barracks in in dortmund so yes which has now been de demolished and is now the home of uh, the dortmund uh, football club training ground so that's much better use for it <laughs> but i'd throw that one in. but yeah it's, but it was um yeah i mean there was the only thing keeping me there was the fact that i didn't literally didn't have any other options um some, some fun times you know in terms of being able to you know drive around in big big heavy uh, army machines and stuff and and I was quite good at the technical part of it I was in a, an air defense regiment that had rock, rockets and I, I was because I, I had more sort of qualifications than most of the others there and uh, I was able to work out how to mend it when it broke because it did all the time but so because how long how long how long were you in there for that well this is it you see very very short time uh, it was uh, three years. Uh, I was two years in the regiment, and then a year in, in a in a unit, um, which I'm not, <laughs> I, I can't say a unit that I'm not that proud of being in because it was to do with arms sales. Basically, it was selling arms sales to anyone who would pay for them, and so any despotic um, government you could think of was paraded in front of us. So yes, anyway, that was what it was. <laughs> Well, that's that's an experience. <laughs> Those three years are essentially like a university degree. I do equate it that way in some ways. Um in, in that there's um um 
I'm hoping that you had that experience as well of the three years being, yes, learning stuff and yes, and being around other interesting people, but also just developing and finding out, um, you know, who you were and, and a three year period of time is pretty good for that. Although because of all the things, all of the full start, yeah, the full starts or whatever, I was 21 by the time I joined the army. So, yeah. So it was, and obviously 24 when I left. And, Did you feel um, that you were um, kind of playing catch up, especially because at twenty one, your your best friend who left Cambridge, he probably graduated from Cambridge by that point, right? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, um, well, he was sponsored through university, so went straight into a job, then into another one. And so, and it's, um, and yeah, and that was which was the case with um, with pretty much everyone I was at school with who. Um, they, yeah, they went on to qualify as doctors or as engineers or whatever, and and they were already, you know, by the time I left the army, they were all very well into, um, yeah, their their graduate training. Many of them have got houses and were starting to get married and stuff. And I just was starting again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I can relate to that as well because um, before I started uni, I took a gap year, and so. I saw all my friends, they already started university. So I was like, okay, when is it my time? And then still having to take a, what's it called? Um, a placement year, which don't get me wrong, is amazing because it gives you all the skills that you need. But upon graduation, I felt like I was two years behind. And um, I think in a perfect world, I probably would have done maybe a master's or done some traveling. But I was like, no, I need to go straight into work because there's that kind of um, competitive thing mindset. and. It feels that you're getting older, but in reality, you're still early 20s. Like, you've got so much time ahead of you, but it does play in your mind where you just want to kind of rush certain decisions. Mm, it does. Mm. I mean, there's, when I when I talk to people now, if they're not, if they're thinking about going to university or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for it because when I finally went to university, it was just transformational. Not because I, Actually, not really because I ended up working in a university, but because of the way in which it helped and made me think of people I met and all that. But I'm really glad that I didn't go straight away. I could have possibly wangled a place at university somehow. Uh, back in 1981, you probably could. But I was pretty sure that I was going to do badly at it because I'd done badly at academic study all the way through. And, and, if you're, and I also knew that it had to be a subject you, I was fascinated by. And so if you've got that in the court, you know, if you've got then you're being challenged with your intellectual development and, but if you're still at the core, really, really fascinated by what you're studying, then, then it can pull you through, but it's also something that you keep with you. But I mean, maybe we're jumping ahead. It's, I, I think that it's really important that, uh, that that's the, that's possibly one of the things, the, the only benefits I can think of to do with tuition fees, which. I don't. I don't know anyone who works in a university is happy about the way that works, because most of us came through university with little or no fees, and the idea of seeing everyone having to pay a lot of money for it. And not only that, it's not even though it's a lot of money, it's not quite enough. <laughs> so it sort of it doesn't work. It doesn't work well from any any angle you look at it. But it might mean that there's a, there's a look. You've got to really think about this. And when I went to yeah, when I left school, um, you were even paid money to go there, and so it was. I don't know what to do. I think I'll, if I can go to university, I might as well, because why wouldn't you? Um, but um, I think that there's, even though it was, it, was, it, was, it was quite, it was very much elitist in those days. If you went to a grammar school, you could probably get into university, but if you went elsewhere, you possibly wouldn't even think about it. Um, but um, Which is, 
the air, which is also not good. But I think there is that thing about making a a, a positive choice about it. You can't necessarily know where you want to go with it, but and the majority of, of undergraduates don't, and that's fine. Well, I didn't when I when I went to university, but it's but it's the it's the self discovery and and taking opportunities for that. I think that's the important yeah. thing. No, definitely, definitely. So then, for you, when you left the army, did you have like a clear picture of what you wanted to do next? Like, were you thinking of it um, when that day yeah, came? It, or, yeah. What was going well, in broad terms. I'd noticed that this was the Thatcher boom years and I wanted to make some money. Yeah. And simple as that. Um, it's all right, you know, in the army, everything's found for you, but you have to pay for it. And you get, it was, even then, it was very little money, you know. Um, very few people had a car or, or anything like that. And it was, you couldn't afford it. But um, I sound like it's long time ago but idiot but it was that's the way it was and i thought right i'm just going to make some money because i think they'll give me some sort of independence and um and i found that uh yeah having my background still didn't really qualify me for very much at all and so and so i found a job where i didn't really need qualifications for again which was working in recruit where i you know i got a job where I turned up at work and I think they gave me half a day's training. It was doing accountancy recruitment. And um, I think they took a half day to explain the qualifications and then gave me a desk chair and a phone and the A to D yellow pages for London. So off you go. Find some jobs. Find some candidates to fill the jobs with. And crack on. I guess now as a professor, and you mentioned that you decided to go to university at some point, um, was it during that period of working where you said, I'm going to go back to uni? Uh, no, not quite. Um, I um, moved jobs again to, and, and up, I thought going up market, and within weeks they closed our department down. I think what they were doing was a, a way of getting everyone to sign a new contract. Then they would they redundancy it. I was kind of caught up in that gameplay. And me and one another guy set up on our own. We did well for a while, um, but for a matter of, uh, a year maybe um and uh, but then we had a recession and i just became well pretty much ill with it really and um and he kind of said to me one day like i think we there was four or five of us working there by then uh one of us needs to go and i think it needs to be you and i went yeah i think you're right and so it was i was then i went from being a director of a of, of a company and giving it Giving it large about how well we were doing and stuff, and, and I suppose to a certain extent we were, and uh, with a mortgage on a house in uh, Stratford, East London. I went from that to having no job and living in a squat within a matter of weeks. That was it was quite a dramatic deal. Force us. I think it's okay, several steps now. <laughs> oh my, sorry, sorry to throw that one at you. Yeah. <laughs> so. Because this this is another it's it's like another example of like identity again. Because now it's like identity as a director. You've got your own business. You've got your house, and then in a matter of weeks, everything just falling apart. Yeah, and I mean the identity went quite quickly. Although I had another embarrassing thing I have to admit is that even after a while, when basically I was I was more or less fired by the person I was in business with. But you know I I I come to a stage where I was so stressed and wasn't really producing and. And he could see that it was the, the best way. I absolutely no blaming for doing it. I think it was the right choice. 
I kept on turning up at the office, not every day, but I would turn up uh, for a for a few weeks and would say hello or whatever. And, but if, but if, but I was I wasn't sort of one of these business people that sort of would sort of you know would, family would only find out years later that I hadn't been working. No, it was but it was it was um, that strong and had to you know get rid of the house and I um, then yeah which. Yeah, which had just completely lost all his value. But I ended up because um, I was in the sort of the people I hung with. There was a few people I knew from school lived nearby, actually, and that I'd had for a long time, and they were all um, just working cash in hand, um, uh, being you know in uh, and it, and trying to make it in bands, and um, which seemed like a nice thing to do. And eventually, what what I did with, I'm when this happened, um, I'd been talking with a friend of mine about setting up a stall on Portobello Road and uh, that and that's that's what we did at that point we we found a sort of in a sense it was another finding a, a difference here we found that you could buy jeans by the pound in New York and sell them a vast profit in West Lubbock it was tricky to work out how we got about that but it was um, not quite arbitrage but it's that sort of thing you know finding where, where you do that I mean, it's really funny to see this kilo sales now, which is sort of the, the thing that was happening uh, in these warehouses in, in New York in 89, 1989. So, yeah, it was... But it was... it was Losing that identity was relatively easy, actually, because I had a new one. I had a new one to go to, which was, um, you know, one that I was ill-suited for. It was someone who was extremely cool and on the edges of... Of the burgeoning uh, indie rock scene, in, in, in which which was, um, and and um, to be fair, my my, I, I when that came to an end, my friends carried on doing it. He's still doing it now, and he does very well with it. He's taking it in a different direction. But it was, but the um, yeah, the excitement of you know being on on Portobello and seeing you know most of the members of the Clash most most weekends was just very exciting. <laughs> That's very oh, that's awesome. very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. So when, when did you realise with that business that it was time to leave then? What's well, time to Especially... leave the market? Yeah. Yeah. I call it my 4am epiphany, is that um, we we were hand-to-mouth existence. I did move out of the squat into a housing association, which was kind of a step above it. It was probably next door, actually. But it was um, uh, in houses that were eventually going to be knocked down or partly knocked down for, for the M11 link. Uh, but the, um, but so we had it very cheap from the Department of Transport. Um, it wasn't a comfortable place to be. It was all right. It was fine. And it was very cheap. Um, but what, what I found was that there was um, getting up at half three, four o'clock on a Friday morning and heading down to Portobello Road and knowing in the middle of winter if it was raining and sleeting, you were very unlikely to sell anything. But you had to be there or else you'd lose your pitch. And I just thought, I got to find something different. I really do. And I think I need some more options. In my head, like, you're doing a lot of business, right? You're an entrepreneur. You're making happen. How do you end up becoming a professor? Because <laughs> I can't see my body. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's right. That's right. In fact, yeah, I'll... Uh, I, I I saw a relative I hadn't seen for a long time a couple of years ago. And they just went, "How did that happen?" She went, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that." Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I I managed to um, uh, 
get a, get a place at, at the University of Westminster, which in my my eyes, you know, is just the transformational moment where someone literally decided to take a gamble on me because they're a new course which haven't been in trained enough for them to recruit conventionally. I was I was turned down by every single university in London, apart from why university did you think when... you wanted to go to uni now though? Why did you decide to go to uni though? I didn't really know. I knew that there would be more options, and that, uh, that and it looked as though when I was coming out of the army, I, I had some skills. I didn't really know how to present them, which is odd because of course that's my job now is helping people work out that. But I knew that if I had a degree, then there would be other options open to me. I didn't really know what those things might be. I had a vague idea I might become a journalist or a radio presenter, but. Uh, and and you know you probably didn't really need a degree for that either. But it was I just thought that it would be a good thing to do. I'd become interested in psychology. I'd come across a a book that I think my my elder sister had 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 years ago about called Sense and Nonsense in Psychology, and I, I just found it fascinating and tried to understand how people were the way they were. And I thought, okay, so I'm fascinated enough by this subject to be able to study it for a bit, which is I thought I'm very sensible actually. Um, prerequisite and also thinking I really can't do this market stuff anymore um I, w- I was st- I'd gone back into to being a, a reservist in the army at this point because that paid uh, but I'd also realized that I, I really ought to leave it alone <laughs> I really ought to say the army isn't for me but um uh, which I did at the end but the you know, and mainly because I needed to drive the van on a Saturday morning down to this down to the Portobello road and and needed also to be driving a Land Rover out on Salisbury Plain, so the two didn't work together very well. <laughs> a lot of driving. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I mean, what's to do with um, broadening my horizons? And uh, that's, which is, for it sounds very purist, particularly that I was, you know, this, you know by, by this time I'm getting, I'm about, I was just nearly 29 when I applied for university. And so, you know, I think my parents must have been tearing their hair out, really, sort of thinking, when does this guy actually do something? You know, because, <laughs> yeah, there's all your bright, you're bright enough, you know, you think you should be able to do something, and I just couldn't figure it out. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I thought, well, I'll go to university, see what happens. You know? and, and, and then towards the end of my time at university, um, uh, one of my lecturers suggested I did a PhD, and I, I I thought he was mad. And then another lecturer suggested it, and she was a bit more persistent. And uh, and God bless you, Catherine Loveday, who I'm still in touch with. And I took my uh, sort of persistent sales techniques to getting a PhD studentship, and in the end I was offered that fun. But it, uh, but um, I, uh, I took the one that was... Uh, closest to my my then girlfriend and the one that involved riding on the back of fire engines so and yeah. she's no girlfriend she's my wife ah, but uh, yeah, she's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so it's um uh that was you know of, i can't say doing the phd was easy it was terribly difficult i found it incredibly difficult but I sort of got to a point where I, I'd done enough. The, the, the study of university as well, I also didn't find easy at all at first, and uh, which is um, 
I think came to be useful to me later in terms of, I hope anyway, um, uh, understanding that not every student gets how to get through university because there's an assumption, I think, by too many lecturers that students will just, will just get it and you, and you shouldn't tell them. But I believe you should. So but anyway, yeah, I, I managed to, to, to get onto that and, uh, and uh, a funded PhD student by the Home Office um, on the grand total of six thousand pounds per annum, tax free, uh, which, uh, um, but it was it was um, really hard work, fascinating at times, but just so often I felt myself staring at the wall, going, "What the hell am I supposed to be doing?" <laughs> no, <laughs> there is an identity thing here as well. To be honest, is that I never really lost the idea that I couldn't be doing something with it. I thought probably I was going to be a consultant. Because I couldn't see how I could be a university lecturer, uh, but uh, and and wasn't sure that I could fit into universities, which is yeah, <laughs> it's sort of, uh, but because of the, I always had this uh, instinct to be a bit entrepreneurial or try and what do do what's now called having a side hustle, but um, which I didn't realise at the time is something that happens in universities a lot, so. Um, yeah, that's that's how it was. The, the transition was to get to go to the PhD because without it, you, you're yeah, you're with some exceptions, different professions. But you need a PhD and you need to be publishing papers. That's how you get to work in a university, and it's quite a high bar. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's everything's starting to make so much sense now because um, I remember in our first first lecture, like introduction to organizational behavior, and in our union, ask them, so the people listening, you're given like, you have to study, I think 12 modules, and it doesn't matter whether you're studying marketing, economics, or like operations, everyone has to do the same kind of standard subject. And you taught organizational behavior. And I remember you had the book of how to write essays. <laughs> and number one, everyone enjoyed going to your lessons because it was different, it had story. And number two, you gave people the the manual, essentially, of how to pass your exams or how to pass your essays and coursework. No one else was doing that. Looking back at your background, it's all making sense, especially like you have that kind of um, entrepreneurial spirit, which you rarely see in lecturers. And you've been able to do that. Like even I saw that you um, started piloting video clips and showing that to um, your the faculty about how that could improve engagement across other students. So that piece has always remained constant throughout your career. Is that right? That's right. I'm, 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 I'm really touched you've mentioned that. And uh, yeah, it was because that was exactly the intention. Because I, 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 I literally can remember my first lecture at university sitting there. My first lecture was on linguistics, which is part of the strange degree I ended up on. And I didn't understand a word of it. I was sitting there going, oh my God, I thought I was stupid. I really, really am. Why the hell am I going to get through this? I didn't help. And and I sort of put my hand up and said, uh, sorry, I didn't really follow a lot of that. Is there a book that I could read to follow up on? Because they didn't sort of give that sort of stuff. And he said, oh, this seems a bit tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it is a book. It explains it very well. And I could see everyone in the lecture, all the hundred of them, God, writing down the name. <laughs> and the funny thing was in linguistics, I, I actually was, in, was part of a panel um, actually doing a, a quality assessment on our linguistics department. Yeah, actually, it's, it's only yesterday. A lot of but, memories. Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably why it's in my mind. But yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I thought that, that was my... I did. I decided to take that approach to it. And it was, um, to be honest, um, one of the reasons that I, I found Aston is such a, an important part of my life as well, to be honest, in a very different way to yours, I'm sure, is that I was offered a part-time job there. Uh, when I was working as a consultant, uh, we're trying to set up my own consultancy, what I had, and it wasn't well, bringing anything at all, or not very much. And I got a, 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 a 40% co- of a full-time contract at, at Aston. And there was, <laughs> there was two things that happened there. The first thing was, um, uh, Patrick, we want you to teach organization behavior. Can you do that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd never heard of it. I had no idea what it was. Literally never heard of it. I, I must I must admit one day to Mike West that this is who was the head of the department. That's that's what it was. But when I looked at it, I thought, oh, yeah, I, th- I think I've made something out. And and I and I think the first year that I did it, I think it must have been a lecture two or three. And I was sitting in, I was working, lecturing in this uh, lecture theatre, what was called the Warwick, Warwick Lecture Theatre. I don't know if you remember. I don't. And I suddenly had this moment going, oh God, I can do this. Yes, I finally find it. I don't know how old I was by that, you know, mid late thirties, something like that. Don't know why, but yes, this is it. This is the one. And I, and it was a real big wow. I got sort of hairs on back of my neck. I was thinking about it. Just genuinely <laughs> remember the moment, and and I yep. thought, yeah, somehow it all works. I don't know how because it was not a subject I'd taught. I'd, I'd been taught at university. It was stuff that I pulled together. The reason I talk stories, I didn't know the literature, so I'm sort of actually made something up about it. <laughs> oh, goodness. I might just... Yeah, because um, organisation behaviour is oh, kind I of... I made myself redundant. <laughs> well, not at all. Not at all, because I feel like it, when I... Um, it kind of informs a lot of the research that you do, kind of be like looking into, say, workplaces, looking at how um, people can just become better employees or managers, right? And I see that you also... Do a bit of coaching, like executive coaching. And um, what type of like transformations do you aim or do you help them with? Like, why do they come looking, coming to seek you, seek you, basically? Well, it's quite a range, really. Um, I, I I think that some of the I had a a, a large contract with um, with a big oil company where where people had gone through a technical route, they'd become engineers, well known, promoted for being good engineers got to a point where they were going to go into a general management um, route and they you know they realized or other people realized on their behalf that they needed to understand what are generally called soft skills it's a terrible name for it but that's how you deal with people how you lead people how you motivate and and those those are those I found very very satisfying because uh, particularly if, if if their minds are open to it and they may well have not come across these ideas particularly before. Those were really important. And, and I found I've done something a bit similar with um, hospital consultants who are moving on to being head of department or running a research group or whatever. And that uh, yeah, very often that they're you know, open to those things. Well, I don't have really, you know, for some reason I had quite a lot of working call centers at one point, doing you know, consulting work. And um, find, I found there's a lot of satisfaction with people doing that as well, sort of figuring out how to make the, the job. Um, uh, yeah, there's not much you can do about actually the tasks in the job, but how you think about it and how you work with other people 
um, you know, finding out where those pipe those points are, and uh, that, that, that yeah. So quite a number of different things. And most recently, I've I've been working with some people on big career changes, um, and um, uh, trying to figure out what they what they want to do next. Sometimes people who have been wildly successful, so that there isn't a financial need to work anymore. Sorry, do that. Yeah, yeah. But it is actually, but it, no, but it's a really challenging thing. I mean, I, yeah, in a sense, you just, I really wish my business ventures had been successful. So I, I was hit with that problem. But it is a very big problem, I and mean, and particularly um, one in particular who was, and I just, I mean, this is the thing I find about it is that the things you get from it, the things you actually um, learn from from going through this. If I'm not learning from doing this stuff, then it's it's not it's not really interesting to me. But, He's sort of saying, yeah, you know, he sold his business for a lot of money, and you know, could live very well without working again. But that just wasn't interesting to him. What he wanted to do, do something else. But he also said this really crucial thing, which was, he worked very hard and a good idea, he went all the way through with it. But he was also lucky, and he recognised that he was lucky, and didn't and knew that he wouldn't necessarily be lucky again. And I think that so few people in that position have, have that view. And you do all the things, yeah, you can do, and you can come out with the slogans, you know, you work on something you love, you'll never work a day in your life, you know, you work hard and you, you, know, you just keep on going, you push through all that stuff, which is important. But he'd recognised that he'd been lucky. So I, I as well, uh, and I think that's just an incredible thing to be able to do from, from that viewpoint. So how do you like um like what's your approach with clients like that, whether it be that person or somebody who's trying to change their careers or going from a more technical to a managerial position, like what's your framework of giving them that transformation? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the th- I, to be honest, I I've tried to avoid um using psychometric tests pretty much all my career. Some of the times I'm working on projects where you have to. I've recently came well, recently. Let's say five years ago, something like that, came across a thing called Strength Scope, which is a, a, a test of strengths. And there's a number of a number of these tests around. What it does is it is a personality test, but what it does it in a particular way, which then says, these are the things that you are good at, and these are the other things. <laughs> now, you can work on those other things, but what it is is that psychologists kind of agree on the fact that personality really doesn't change very much. And so if you're things that you're not strength good at, so things that your development needs or whatever you would like to call it, or weaknesses you may call it, if they're related to your personality, it doesn't really matter how much you work at them. You're never going to eliminate them. And you can waste so much time and energy trying to make yourself into being somebody you're not. So why not look at your strengths? Play to your strengths. Yeah, do whatever you can to... Um, acknowledge there are things you're you know, your blind spots. Find ways around it. Find ways of being a bit better with it. And then, but but most of your time should be spent playing to your strengths. And I found just a huge amount of 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 benefit comes from. It. In fact, you you mentioned earlier the um, that there was an interview I did where an article I did which was um, in, in the New York Times, and that was um, a profile of. Of the chef Judy Jew, and um, um, we did this thing, which I think sometimes people might have thought wasn't ethical. But 
was done totally with her uh, agreement is that we did this personality test on her and showed and shared what her strengths were. And she had a remarkable um, career and lots of different things that she'd done that were amazing. And we were able to talk through how her strengths were shining through in those ways. Um, I think that she was probably aware of at least some of them. But the way in which you do this is to then figure out what you do with that information. And and that's the, the key thing for me. That's how I started all, all, all the time. And, and, and I think that I'm yet to come across anyone who, who doesn't find it um, a useful experience, to be honest. Um, I know I sound like I'm selling a cult here or something, but it's a... Uh, no, no, no. Really... I, 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 <laughs> I want to give it a shot because um, in my mind, I think of like, I don't know, there's there's always been like a, an onus to be well-rounded and making sure that, yeah, you have your strengths, but your weaknesses aren't like your Achilles heel. There's still things that you can do. Because I don't know, sometimes I'm a believer that if I really, really try, I can do something. But then what you said kind of resonates, like why waste your time on those areas, which are your weaknesses, where you could really make your natural abilities shine through and become even better. Right, um, but it's like a mentality shift. It it is it is it's a, a and because you sort of it's a natural thing to sort of look at um, the the weakness side of this. I had the terrible troubles with this with these really high achieving hospital consultants who would ignore the strengths and, and I spent ages saying it's about the strengths. You just yeah yeah it's fun. You get the test out. They get right. I'm I'm why does it say I'm bad at this? And I'm. Against what scale is this? You know, and you'd, no, 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 look, let's just, yeah, let's just have a, and it's very, and it goes against everything. Well, certainly the way the education system's set up, doesn't it? I mean, this is, you must get into the, you know, what's my mark? Where do I stand in the ranking sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, and and it's just a, um, a very different um, mindset. Yeah. Have you, have you noticed like a particular tactical way that's been more successful with helping people shift? their mindset to become a bit more straight focused than say weakness focused. I, I think that you end up, I end up quite often, e even though what I've just said, starting with, with the development opportunities, because you can see, um, there are some gains to be had. I mean, I was simplifying it a bit. If you see that, you know, um, that, that there's something that, something that they're, they're, that usually they're, they're aware of this as being an issue for them. And to sort of say, well, let's, there's normally some things you can do with whatever it is, you know, helping with prioritizing things or with whatever it is. Um, and and you, can, you can do some things with that. But, and so you can say, but, you know, you can limit it though. So say, we're just going to do a little bit of that. But what we're mainly going to do now is to see where whereabouts these are in your job at the moment. And particularly with those people who are thinking of a new career, you think, um, you're obviously coming talking to me because your career isn't going well, so or you don't like it. And here I can see why it is. And like with the example of, of Judy, she was working um in 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 the trading floor on Wall Street. And um which was an, an amazing thing for a woman and a woman of of of, of East Asia origin as well. It's extraordinary. But there were a whole load of things in her personality you could see were not fitting. She had a really strong drive to be creative, and that just wasn't where it was with, with that. And, um, and and she was saying, yeah, yeah, I can see that's why 
I felt I had to go away and do something else. And she also has a very strong need to be in charge. And so that, that's why she has her own company. It's, it's probably going to stay relatively small because she needs to be in charge of it and being creative. And so you can see how you're going to make, uh, make sense of those things and to sort of say that, you know, that, you know, the things that were, you know, on the, on the, you know, um, at the other end of the scale are things that, you know, that are, are not important in her current job mostly. So that's being able to point those things out. And I don't necessarily sort of, I'm not a careers advisor as it were, but the, um, what I'm more interested in is just pointing out the things that people enjoy and why they might enjoy them and, and see how it's into the work workplace. Some, sometimes it is hard because you have to balance the things I'm good at, things I enjoy doing, things that can make me money. And even things that yes, as well, because the status thing, um, as I was saying before about identity, like if you're, it's easy to say I'm a banker. It's another thing to say, I'm a, I'm trying to think of something, which is no, I'm figuring it out basically. Now you haven't got an identity yet. And balancing, or even no, no, let's, let's say that again. Like if you, if you were a banker, if you were someone senior, like a VP, um, you were killing it, but now you, you, you essentially quit and you want to start from scratch again. And you know, with hard work, you might get back to the high heights that you got to, but it's going to be a long journey and you have to kind of accept that. Uh, I, I think to be honest, the, uh, the status thing is something that is, is difficult to talk about. I mean, but it's, it's true. I mean, it's, um. Yeah, much as I would like to say that you know, I I yeah I lo- I love this job because of the way in which I can help you know largely young people and we be chosen there. I like being called professor. I really do. Um, uh, and uh, which my family um, have taken on board as a, as a way of making sure I don't like it too much. So where should you pack when you're at home? <laughs> well, no, yeah, it's sort of the only time I get called professor at home is when I've done something really stupid. <laughs> oh, professor! But um, but um, yeah, and and it is, um, and so I try to, uh, yeah, sort of play it down a bit and to, and to be aware of it too. And it, you know, that there's, um, and I think that there's, you can call it status, you can call it feeling um, a sense of worth, I suppose. And, uh, and with all sorts of ways of looking at it. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it because you do need to, you know, the ideal thing is that you have a job that you feel you're doing something that's useful, that you feel proud to do, and the feel that, that, that your strengths are, are sort of, uh, are, are married to. And so it's, that's difficult to get all the time, but some of the time anyway, yeah. And um, talk to me a little bit about, like, bravery, um, because... Bravery, a lot of people, like I always say this, like bravery and the word brave, it's not a word that we've used and since we were like in school in terms of like fairy tales, but every single day we encounter some type of brave moves or be courageous. So for example, with the, the clients that you have when they want to make a career change, that's an example of being brave or, or being or, or having courage. And can you tell me a little bit more about like what that means to you and some of the psychology behind it? Uh, yeah, well, I, I was I, I I was literally a phone call I took once saying, "Could you do some stuff on on on? on do you know anything about courage?" And I say yes to these things. That's <laughs> that. And, and when I looked into it, I found it really, really, really interesting that there's. It was done in a military sense to start with, and um, why why is it that some people respond well to um, 
you know, being under fire and stuff, and something that I'd never experienced in in my time in the military. And and but I I've come to obviously recognise that that's massively important, and I was so proud to be part of the. Uh, there's an exhibition of Victoria and George Crosses at the Imperial War Museum, which I helped to put on, and with the video of me talking about it in, in the gallery. But I think that I'm actually at least as impressed by other forms of courage now. People make a stand in particular where, you know, there's where, where you don't necessarily know that there's a safety net, where you, uh, where you're a whistleblower perhaps. But also, I mean, there's, 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 there's even sort of uh, lower levels of that as well. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, coming to the re reality of a situation, if, if you like, we can kid ourselves a lot about what's going on around us, say, out there, side. And, and when, when I was set up my consulting business, um, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I said, look, this is not working, and I pulled the plug on it. And in a sense, I could do because I had, I by then had started work at Aston. So I had a possible way out. But I did that before I'd actually got agreement to go full time at Aston. So I didn't know. And I think it was a massive thing for me to do is to say, I'm no longer this person who has a successful consulting business in this interesting area of work psychology. Um, that's gone. And I think that's the courageous move. And I think um, that's. Lots of people do way more courageous things than that, but I think that that's an everyday example of it, and to be able to face up to it. And I think that that people do that sort of thing every day when they when they say, um, you know, no, this is being honest, perfectly honest with yourself and with other people. Is that tends to be the the origins of the courageous part, and being able to to stand up and say this is not going to be easy, but it's the right thing to do. That's yeah, and uh, those, those sorts of things are uh, massively important parts of being a good human. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any ways to kind of build up that sense of courage? Um, because sometimes, because it's 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 that weighing of the different risks element. So speaking up, being a whistleblower, I might get fired. Um, with the Victoria Cross examples you gave, I might lose my life. Um, are there ways to kind of build up that type of like fearlessness, would you say? Or is it a personality thing? You know, I mean, I, I think that the, the split second ones are um, are easy to understand, but very difficult to predict how anyone will res result in it. And yeah, the root of many of those are someone had to do this and it had to be me. I was the only one who could do it. Um, and um, uh, <laughs> I was very... Um, it just see at the at the recent coronation, which I saw some of. Uh, I saw Johnson Bahari there, which was uh, yeah, carrying the banner of his 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 native Jamaica. It was wonderful to see him there. I, I've only met him a couple of times. I remember one of the things he because he's got a Victoria Cross, and the, what he described was that he was his identity was the driver of that vehicle. His he was the driver of that armored personnel carrier, and he was for shooting at it and breaking it. And he was really cross. And also that as his job as the driver, there were people who were being wounded and, and even killed in the back of it. And he felt responsible for it. So therefore, that's what I'm going to do. And it happened in his case. He had to do it several times in quite a short space of time. But So there was an identity thing with that. 
what does a person like me do in a situation like this? And you know, um, thank good, yeah, because he's never had to do anything like it, particularly since. I don't think anyway. But there is that uh, that it does come back again to this theme of identity, which has been through this uh, this this discussion, hasn't it? And that, yeah, what does a person like me do in a situation like this? What what is the expect? Yeah, what is the expectation? And there's this idea that I can't refer it to somebody else; it's down to me. And that um, is a is a leadership question, very much. And and it and it's leadership, not necessarily in in the case of having lots of of people working for you, if you like, it's a leadership in terms of setting an example and so forth. And this is very often the discussions I would have with hospital consultants who, who would be, um, you know, in a, you know, would have a senior position, and when and they would be in situations where other people would do what the consultant was, you know, they were in charge, but they weren't managing people. They weren't the line manager or the team leader of it. And what they were doing was leading by example and by setting out what the standards were and the way in which they wanted to go. And this included very often being able to stand up and uh, and acknowledge some really difficult things sometimes. And I think we only hear about the times when, when this doesn't happen. Um, but, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think some of it comes down to, to security. Um, there's a sort of a, an idea of confidence at the at the root of it but if if you're if you're in a situation where if if i stand up and say this i will probably lose my job and therefore will not be able to work and probably lose my house and my family will not be able to you know and you think that's one thing isn't it and there's another thing which is you know it will be difficult for me in many ways professionally but not as extreme as that and so yeah i think you have to these things in in the round and maybe the courageous thing is to say I can't do it. I have to. This is where where are my priorities. Mm, so I, yeah, sounds I, like an act. Sorry, sorry. No, go on, go on, go on. I mean, it, it's 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 the sort of thing that you have. It's not a split second decision most of the time. So those split second ones are just, um, uh, yeah, they yeah the the military type ones, and there's other ones. That, yeah, other other things you see like that. So this in the fire service as well. Built on professionalism, built on identity, built on training abilities, and so. But there's another thing which is this longer, slow thing, which I've heard referred to as cold courage, which is, I don't have to do it now, I don't have to even do it tomorrow, but maybe I'm going to have to think about doing it at some point, and uh, and that that is, if anything, takes uh, is 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 sort of is a, requires a digger. A, a, a deeper dig into uh, character. Um, and In whether, what sense? A bit more. Well, there's the, the, you've you've got time to 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 decide whether there's an option, whether there's an alternative, and that you're in a comfortable position, and or, or a relatively comfortable position, and whether you stand up to someone, whether you stand up to a bully, take them on, whether you uh, decide, no, I, I've just got to. Um, you know, step away from this particular job and don't really know where I'm going with it. And so yeah, that takes a, a, a lot. And particularly if, as you go along, you know, uh, early on with my consultancy business I mentioned before, I read my mortgage, my house against that. It's not a courageous move. That's a really stupid thing to do, uh, really. Because, I mean, I 
refer to it in a light-hearted way most of the time, but it's not. If I couldn't convince the bank to lend me money against my business, I've got to ask, is this a viable business? And um, uh, in, in recent times when I've been pitching for, for, for funds, it's not necessarily the way you think about it first. You think, it's idiots don't understand what a septic chart is so you know, stuck in their ways. I think the courageous thing to do is to be able to say, that's not working. And yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of hard work and going for everything as you know as hard as you can, sort of thing. And you know, sticking at it and whatever. And you know, yeah, pretty much every move on. You know, when I I I I got the job here at Warwick, and I th think I'd applied for thirty five jobs between the you know my, my the job I'd had in London and this. And not only that, one of the refusals I had was this one. See, so, 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 that's, so that's interesting because it goes to the question of when do you know when to give up? Exactly. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a really old uh, uh, song that you're quite sure you won't know. But it's, called, it's called the Gambler's Song. It has this, this um, a refrain. You've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Know when to walk away, know when to run. And I think that's really what it comes down to. And... Um, uh, I, 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 the only lecture I do this year is uh, when the, uh, every year here at Warwick is is on failure, and I play the poor unsuspecting students this old country song, Kenny Rogers singing. And uh, yeah, uh, but I think it has a very good point: is to say, yeah, what at what point do you say, actually, I need to think of something different here, and so. Um, yeah, I mentioned that I'd developed an app so that students could look at their learning materials on their phones um, uh, in a particular way. And I was completely convinced about it. But the number of things happened whereby it lost momentum or whatever. I was then pitching for uh, private equity or, or venture capital or whatever. And um, after a while, you know, and that, yeah, it came back pretty clearly that this was too early stage for, for whatever reason. And eventually, I, I didn't necessarily stop with that, but I decided that maybe I needed to think of a different way about going about it. I haven't quite finished with it yet, as it were, but but that idea of of, of not because fortunately I'm not sort of I haven't sort of pinned everything on it, and um, nor would I if I even if I if I had the money I wouldn't because I I would want to make sure I could persuade other people that it was worth it. I'm not going to be going out on them again, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the difficult thing is to say, actually, this isn't working. And we need to think of it. Maybe there's some parts of it are, we keep those, and we yeah, we work on them in a different way. And it's dreadful world in in the entrepreneurship space called Pivot, which um, where you just, okay, so I'm not going to do it quite this way. And there's so many, there's so many successful businesses operate that way where, and, and of course, it's, it's enshrined in the in the book on, on on the lean startup, which is exactly that. You, you try something, and you you see what works about it. You you try again, and I think that's a really really good way of doing it. Yeah, like Slack is probably the biggest example of a pivot. You know, they were making software for gaming companies, and the tool which they were using to message everyone internally was Slack. They met made that into a product. Sold to Microsoft for billions. Um, yeah.
it's yeah that that is a question because you you can always look at look back at things with hindsight but looking forward is the hardest thing ever and you can always like rationalize things going well or rationalize things going badly but the thing that you mentioned earlier like what the the the, the entrepreneur guy that said about luck being such a massive factor and you need luck on your side end of the day you really do yeah, and and you have to sort of see a, a, a point, and and I think it's a really important decision to make is that, um, yeah, we've done everything we can, and it's not it's upsetting. It's you know, we now need to so, right, what's next? And um, yeah, and, but but yeah, but but there's always a sort of yeah, there's part of me always at that point thinks one more <laughs> one pull up one <laughs> One more, one more, yeah. Hey, one more push. So, so you, you, you mentioned you teach, um, you teach a class on your failure, is that right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yes. What's what do you what's what's the lesson? What's what do you teach? What do you teach about that in that class? Well, being here at uh, the University of Warwick, uh, in common with all universities, you have very bright students, and they're quite eccentric, bright. <laughs> they would be appalled if they'd known what my A level results were. <laughs> but there we are. But they are very, very clever. They've been through and they work very hard in, at their A-levels to get to university here. And they, they're doing a module on entrepreneurship. And it's uh, from across the university. So there's students doing maths and classics and business and there's all sorts of people. And so they talk about different parts of, of, of entrepreneurship. And mine is about when things go wrong. And that's uh, so I, that, that's, that's why I started up and say, right, I'm going to talk about failure. And... The previous lecture is talking about the theory of failure and the fear of failure. And I stand up and say, right, I'm going to talk about four failures. They're all mine. I could have taken more of them, but these are four failures of mine. And you've failed? Because, <laughs> of course, they've never failed anything. Well, not, not. There's a simplification, but um, yeah. So, uh, and I think, and, and the, I think they do appreciate it because they think that, yeah, they do realize that they're going to have to fail. They're going to have to pass. They're going to have to face up to things when, when they don't pass at some point. That they're going to be able to get through exams, but they may be going to try things that don't work. And how do you try to move past that? How do you get to a point where you say, really, honestly, in my heart of hearts, do I think this is working? And what are the measures that I've put in place to see the measurements to see how it's going? The metrics are telling me it's not working. Do I need to just keep on going, tweak it? Or do I say... And, and I've talked about how uh, to be really committed and passionate, but also ready to drop it. And say, no, that's... And I because the people I've seen who've done well in, in you know, starting their own business are absolutely passionate about what they do. And, until right until the moment where they say it's not worked. And it's a shame. And not have that pouring it. You do need to pour yourself into it in a sense. But you don't have to become that person. You don't have to be known as that person um yeah ideally i mean that doesn't always happen but it's uh yeah yeah have you noticed any like common traits between those who are successful especially with your clients or anything like that um i, I think the people who I, i've seen who are are um successful in terms of working in another you know not not necessarily their own organization but the ones who are successful at getting the best out of other people um, are, are really good at self-reflection 
and and very good at at, uh, at listening to other people. And um, uh, sometimes people manage to bludgeon their way through by just being, you know, arrogant and self-centered and egotistical. And I think we probably will work for people like that. Why don't they go out to you? But um, but and sometimes they seem to yeah. Sometimes they get on, and that's just the way it works. Sometimes, but the um, there's a lot of of work done about uh, about how people with board who are borderline or on sort of um, you know psych, borderline having psych, serious, serious psychological problems can sometimes be wildly successful in whatever way you in making money or being promoted. But the ones who really do well are the ones who, you know, who are ones who uh, are able to you know, really bring people along and get the best out of them. The ones who listen are the ones who know themselves and know other people. Um, I mean, uh, it sounds like a sort of a woolly psychologist thing to say, but it's the. Uh, but uh, that's to me. I mean, you've got to you've got to know enough about the business. You've got to know enough about the work, because yeah, if you don't really understand how how the, how the the business works then you're really not going to be able to bring people with you but you don't need to be the best expert on it you don't need to be that but um so yeah the enough technical knowledge but there's mainly that thing about you know, knowing yourself and being able to reflect on it okay got it um and i guess like in a long longer term broader sense Whereas, do you see any changes happening say in the way like people are developing their careers, um, entrepreneurship, or anything that you're really paying attention to right now? What I see is that the, 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 there's there's a lot of talk around about how the world is very different, a different place to what it used to be, and it kind of is. You're obviously in, in some way, but I think that the, the 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 main parts about it to do with you know having a good idea, being able to you know, execute it properly as 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 the, as the as the jargon goes, you're being really good at the way in which you put it into into work, and being able to understand the costs and do you understand the price and the market and how other people work. And those are the same things that have been there forever. Um, yeah, they manifest themselves in slightly different ways. You know, sometimes people are able to just work remotely all the time and barely meet each other and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there is a there is a a requirement to be able to figure out how to work remotely and uh, you know in places that you know that. In, in, in time situations where you you don't sort of meet face to face and uh, that's difficult of course um, uh, some parts of the job work okay that way but it's the uh, being able to figure that sort of thing out is, is helpful but in, in terms of the way in which it works it's whatever business it is you know whatever whether it's yeah, fintech is still business <laughs> it's you know it is and and you need to understand the fundamentals yeah, yeah. Um, and so what are you currently working on at the moment or what's next for you well yeah I am in a situation where I'm sort of uh, you know at, at a sort of a point of working out what what's next and and I, I'm thinking I might do some more writing and some more uh, blogging about things and in fact I've got a, um, I, I'm, I'm, I've started funny enough I've had quite a number of conversations with, with former students recently and that's been an absolute delight and uh uh, and uh, I, yeah, the what I'm finding is that I can actually learn from from your experience. And to be honest, I've just been talking at you, and I'd much rather we we switch this round. We'll do this another time, maybe where I ask you stuff because I, 
I want to know about your differences. I want to know where you're going with this book. But, but I, d- I didn't think that was really what you wanted me to say today. But the, uh, honestly, that's that's true. But so I want to be able to not necessarily only learn from my former students, but I want to want to be able to see because um, I've got some things to say about the way in which the you know, work happens and the way in which um, so many people end up in jobs where they find that they're not really supported properly in it and maybe there's some ways in which you know, stuff that I've I've come across could help and so that's where, I, where I'm trying to go with that I think in the old days I would just immediately sit down and try and write a book and that might be it but I think I need to find a a, 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 a place where that will fit on these on these shelves metaphorically so I am, I'm interested in that I'm interested in that quite a lot and um, yeah and uh, being able to sort of uh, um, I'm, I'm interested in um, how I can sort of maintain that sort of pace, uh, but also uh, develop things that have nothing to do with work as well, because I've had those on a whole or too long. And um, so the setting up uh, some really cheap keyboards in my shed, some cheap, uh, cheap keyboard in my shed has been uh, a joy for me, but possibly not for the neighbours. <laughs> Also, oh, you're a musician as well, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, literally dabble, but it, it, it's uh, yeah, sort of uh, yeah, it, the simple pleasures of doing things that I've always enjoyed doing. Yeah, swimming in swimming in outside, you know, in rivers and lakes, uh, making music, shouting at the TV when Villa's playing, that sort of thing. Those are the things. I mean, it sounds like someone sitting down with the slippers, or whatever. But it isn't. It's actually a, a, a conscious decision to uh, to do the things that I enjoy, and I'm hoping that the that what will come out of it in terms of the yeah, the writing and the blogging and trying to fit, figure out how that actually uh, uh, works in a way that yeah gets a, a, a reach. That's why I want to ask you about this as well to find out how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, there's those sorts of things, and I, and I, uh, and you know to to see see the, the app's not quite dead yet as well. <laughs> It's those make it reemerge. I mean, it's it's needed. Like I said, the the book that you made, like that was what two thousand and nine. I still got it here somewhere. You know, like really? I'm never gonna throw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still got it. I still got it. Right. I, I was thinking I should have, have I should have out of the. Oh, that's the first one. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I have. The green one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with Marcus and yeah. uh, and, and Jane, who are PhD students and all. And then we did mm-hmm. I did another one with Marcus because Jane was far too successful to do that. Then I had another one with, with someone called Christos uh, Orthodox, who's who was another student. Yeah, we, oh, okay. we back. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible title. It's not ours, but we wanted to show how how you could get the best out of university. Yes, the studying, but everything else, and make sure you do it in a balanced way. But um, yeah, that was the yeah. It works. Uh, it works. And Christos is very successful in his own right there. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I've lost it. So I've got two last questions for you. Right. Um, the first one, since you're a musician, <laughs> if I dropped you on a desert <laughs> island, what would be your soundtrack to keep Fuck. you going? Well, yeah, I mean, this is in fact my, the lecturer who who suggested that I did my PhD is obsessed with desert island discs and, oh, uh, yeah. and the memories that come from it. And every time I look at my list, you know, but I mean, the the music I go back to all the time is 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 Bruce Springsteen, pretty much, and that there's. Um, it's got to be something like Born to Run, really, which uh, is yeah, this this 
this idea of uh, of moving forward and yeah it's a town full of losers we're pulling out of here to win i'm afraid that's what i felt about lancaster and i go back to it now it looks rather nice actually but it's sort of a, it didn't feel like that when i were allowed yeah yeah but all to run um, yeah second question is there like a book that you give to people the most like now you always recommend people is to have it um no not 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 one particular one um um at the moment the the book that's had the most influence on me recently is one called there's nothing for you here which is a book about um someone who came from a very um very poor background but ended up yeah in the northeast of england and ended up as the main advisor do you know this one uh, of of the advisor in the white house and and the story of how she got through all sorts of prejudice to get there. Now, I, I, I was, I thought there was absolutely amazing stuff within that, and uh, I'm, I'm also, moment. I actually, to be honest, I'm most interested in the thing in, in, in looking at uh, the inner voice, what it is, how you talk to yourself, which sounds a bit weird in a way, but um, and there's a number of books about that which I'm, I'm fascinated by because we tend to be very harsh on ourselves. You know, you drop something, you go. You do, and you never talk to anyone else like that. But you sort of talk to yourself like that, and uh, and it's quite natural to do that. And I, it's not good. And but you can use it the other way, where you can actually use this sort of it's yeah. So there's a way of doing sort of affirmations in a very useful way. I think. And but it's also the sort of thing that you forget to do all the time. And I'm reminding myself I should as well. But it's a, but those sorts of things about the way in which you might be able to change your yeah, way you. So there's all sorts of charlatans in that area as well, which I was fascinated by. But I'm uh, thinking about that there's a way in which you could, um, uh, I suppose, live a, a, a happier and possibly more fulfilled life by by looking at things like like how you how you what, what you say when you talk to yourself. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. But I have to kind of pull myself up sometimes. I'm like, why am I saying this to myself? Like, what's going on here? Because um, you don't realize it happened, and I realize some people they don't even have an inner voice at all. I thought everyone had an inner voice, but yeah, some people don't have an inner voice. And I think there's one book. Have you heard of the Chimp Paradox? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I, I think that's I think that's about it. Oh, you read them somewhere there. <laughs> oh, I think that's about. I'm ready for a while. Actually, I was like to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Professor, thank you so much um, for today. Um, just before we go, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, how could they do that? Where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you, you, if you Google Patrick Tissington, it comes up. Uh, there's only one of me. Oh, I think there's another one, but he hasn't got a website. Um, uh, or patricktissington.com. That's that's where I am. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.